Following that, though, um, I have some other news I'm going to share with you in just a moment. But for now, I want to draw your attention to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book of the Bible. Well, now, the last book of the Bible as far as the Old Testament is concerned. And there are four chapters to the book of Malachi. We're going to read from Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, and reading just through verse 12. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to uh, speak on a subject that I think is important for us, and that is the, the subject of the theme of giving, the theme of giving. And some time ago, um, in one of our council meetings, the council is a group of leaders in the church, elders and deacons, and we were talking about a number of things uh, in that meeting. One of the things that came up from the deacon side is that as far as our budget is concerned, we're currently in the red. And when I heard how much we were in the red and what percentage of us um, uh, are, are struggling in terms of the matter of giving, it was kind of a shock to me. And I've, I've never been in a church where it was that kind of situation. So maybe it's not the best thing for guests here to hear. I mean, we're not, we're not on the edge. We're ready to collapse at all. But... But the deacons thought, you know what, it would be good if we had a couple of sermons about giving and the heart of giving, the heart of giving. And so um, on those off Sundays where we're not looking at mercy ministry, we're going to be taking a look at just a couple of sermons on giving to, to encourage us as part of our worship before the Lord to give cheerfully and generously, okay? So Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading at verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And the Lord says, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? And it's the Lord speaking here. He says, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So you see, and actually when you take the Bible seriously, in a number of the books of the Bible you see that the call to, to give generously and cheerfully and heartfully before the Lord is, is, a, is a perennial challenge of God's people throughout the ages. And then just one other thing here, too, is um, if you're a guest here this morning, you know, um, hopefully we are the kind of church that if guests come, we don't, we, can't, we don't present ourselves as this is perfect church, right? Every church has its warts. We have our warts, too. But we believe by the grace of God that he has something beautiful in store for us despite some of our our blemishes, okay? We're going to approach it. We're going to look at giving this morning. Now, when it, when it, when it comes to giving, uh, 
Oftentimes, I, I look at giving somewhat like, uh, and, and, and preaching on giving, somewhat like uh, a, a pastor sometimes preaches on the second worship service. Kids, kids, I want you to listen to me, and would, if you're doing anything right now, just put it aside, and I want you to look up at me. I want to I talk to you, okay? When I was, when I was a, and I'll be brief with this, because I want to get into the passage, but when I was, when I was a little boy, like you, like and, and boys and girls here, I would say I was between six and about 12 years old, and my mom and dad were Christians, and I grew up in a Christian family, and I went to a large church where we had two services, worship services on a Sunday. And it was at, at 10 in the morning, and then I know here in Canada, it's kind of the tradition in many of our churches to have an afternoon service. This was an evening service when I was a kid, it was seven. But anyway, we had, we had two services like we have here, two services on a Sunday. And I remember periodically what would happen is a pastor would get up and he would preach about the second service because the second service typically, as it is for a lot of churches, wasn't as well attended in the evening as it was in the morning. And so he'd get up there and he would preach about the, the need for us to kind of re-up and get ourselves to the second service. And now that I'm a pastor, I realize what was probably going on behind the scenes that kind of what happened was that the, the elders and deacons got together and they were talking about it and they said, well, you know, the second service is not as well attended as the first. We're having trouble with attendance. So, hey, pastor, can you get up and say something about that? So that's what he did. And I remember... I have vague memories, kids, that when this pastor would, would preach about the second service, even though I didn't understand everything that he was saying, I always kind of felt like this. He was, we're getting slapped in the hand. I don't know if that's truly what happened, but that's, that's the feeling that I got. So anyway, to, to finish this all, when he, when, when he would preach on that in the morning, what do you suppose happened in the, in the, in the second service? Well, the second service was all packed out. It was just as good as it was in the morning. And then the next week, and you know where I'm going with this, the next week would go down a little bit further, and then the third week would go down further, and by the fourth week it was all back to the same again. Now, as a pastor, I'm not against preaching about the second service, as I'm, as I'm not opposed to, to, to preach about giving. But here's the thing that I want us to understand. The, the, the issue before us, and, and, and I'm not going to preach on the second service, I'm going to preach about giving, but the issue in terms of giving just like the second service, is not so that we can, after a particular sermon, simply meet a certain standard. This is what God wants. We're not doing it. So therefore, we need to get our act together. Let's get to that second service, or let's give to the giving. The issue is not primarily about meeting a certain standard. Primarily, it's an issue of this, the heart. And when you look particularly about giving and what the Bible says about giving, like, for instance, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Luke chapter 21, when it talks about that widow giving just a few coins in the offering plate and the Lord looking upon that as something beautiful because she had so little to give. I mean, it is, it is always when it comes to giving, it's never just about meeting a standard. It's about the heart. So what I want us to see this morning now as we get into the passage is that Malachi chapter 3 is not first and foremost about giving, it's about trusting. Giving is always about trusting. So the question I pose to all of us here this morning, and I speak to myself here as well, the question I pose to us is do we really believe and do we really trust that if we give 
cheerfully and we give generously according to how God has blessed us, that when it comes to the end of the day, we're going to look at our own personal single budget or family budget and say, you know what? I'm continuing to meet my budget. In fact, I'm doing better than just meeting my budget. The Lord has given me bounty. That's what the Lord promises in our passage. So with that kind of positive approach, let's go on to take a look at Malachi chapter 3. Okay? Now, we find ourselves in the book of Malachi, as I said, and um, Malachi is, is a book that occurs during a time of restoration for the people of God. Now, what I mean by that is this. The, the people of Israel, God's people, our, our spiritual ancestors had at, at a certain point in their life, and this occurred over actually centuries time, building up to a point where, where God disciplined his people by sending them into captivity in Babylon, which is about a thousand miles from their homeland. And the reason for that is because the people of God had turned their backs on God and God for a number of years would send his prophets to his people to turn them back to himself because God's heart was grieved. But, but still they turned their backs on God no matter how many prophets he sent their way. And so, so God's patience finally ran out and in grief he said, I'm going to have to discipline you. And he disciplined his people by exiling them to the land of Babylon, as I said, about nine, or, uh, 900 to 1,000 miles away. And it's there they were exiled in slavery in the land of Babylon for 70 long years. And after that 70 years, God said, now you may return to your homeland. And only a remnant of faithful people, about 10%, said, we will go back to our homeland. That was a long haul for them. So they went back to their homeland, and once they got to their homeland, by the grace of God, they started to rebuild their lives. And they, they started to, to rebuild the, the kind of life that they had before. And most of all, they rebuilt the temple as a, as a, as a central place of worship. Now, that, that temple was rebuilt because the original temple was destroyed around 586, 587 B.C., by King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian forces who laid siege to Jerusalem. So when they finally got into Jerusalem, they destroyed the walls, they destroyed the temple, but once God's people came back to the land during a time of restoration, they rebuilt the temple. Now, it wasn't to the former glory of what we call the Solomonic Temple, the temple built during the days of King Solomon, but it was a temple nonetheless. And the people of God, our ancestors thought, well, now that we have the central place of worship, now that we have the temple, everything's going to be good. The blessings of God are going to come down upon us, and yet the blessings of God didn't. And why was that? It's because even though the temple was rebuilt, this here, the heart, that wasn't rebuilt. And you can tell that now in the book of Malachi. Because what you find in the book of Malachi is that a number of things that revealed the unfaithfulness of God's people and the immaturity of God's people. So, for instance, regarding worship, their worship became rather formal and dull. And God said, I want you to bring the best sacrifices to the temple, but instead of bringing their best, they gave God their blemished sacrifices, less than 100% sacrifices. And God says, I'm a holy God. I am the Lord of hosts. And this is what you bring? Is this the best you can do in worship? So worship was just one thing. Another thing is their marriages weren't lasting. There was divorce among the people of God, not a few here and there, but a, no a number of cases of divorce among the people of God. N another thing is, is they, didn't, they weren't concerned about mercy ministry. 
God says, I bless you over and over again, and yet you're so stingy, and you do not give to the poor and the orphan and the widow. And then finally this, the Lord says, and you're not being faithful in your giving. You're holding back. You're shortchanging me. So you see, there's all these testimonies to, to the lack of the fidelity and zeal and warmth of the people of God. And here's the worst thing about it that you read in the book of Malachi. The worst thing about it is that you have all these instances of unfaithfulness, but the people weren't getting it. It wasn't registering with them. That's how dull they were. They're, they, they're like, well, what's wrong with us? You know, God says, you're being unfaithful. And the people are like, well, how are we being unfaithful? God says, you're provoking me. And, God, and the people are going like, well, how we provoke you? You know? God says, you're wearying me. And they're going like, how are we wearying with you? How, how are we tiring you out, Lord? And finally, God says, listen, you need to return to me. You need to return. And the people are like, um, how shall we return? And the Lord says, well, one way is by giving, is you're withholding your giving. Um, if you can put it on the overhead, verses uh, 7 and 8, maybe they're up there already. Verse 7, if you have your Bibles, take a look at that. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. You, you feel some of the heart of the Lord here, right? Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But here's the people. How shall we return? And God says, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? See, they don't get it. They don't get it. How have we robbed you? The Lord says, and you notice he gets rather specific in this passage. He says, okay, I'll, I'll tell you how you're robbing me. You're robbing me in terms of your, what he calls, tithes and offerings. Take a look at verse 10. Or I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 9. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. In verse 8, the people ask, how have we robbed you? And God says, listen how he gets specific here, tithes and contributions. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Kids, why don't you listen up again? Have you heard that word tithing? Tithing? You know what tithe means? It means literally a tenth. A literally a tenth. And when people would give a tithe, they would give tithes of their animals, right? They didn't have like cash, what we have today. They didn't have credit cards or any of that or bank accounts. So they had animals, they had land, they had produce from the, from the trees and all of that. And the Lord says, I want you to give a tithe of these and other things. I want you, I want you to give a tenth. And I want you to give a tenth for, for my sake because I am blessing you richly. I want you to give a tithe for, for the needy, for the poor and the orphan and the widow. And I want you to give a tithe for the Levites. And the priests, these are people who work in connection with the temple, what we would call the ministry today. He says, I want you to tithe because these individuals and the ministry of the temple need your tithes. Just as a church, we need our tithes and our offerings, right? So this goes back to the Old Testament, right? 
Now, here's the thing we need to understand. And the oppression here in the Bible and the oppression that we get in Malachi chapter 3 is that it's not as if the people themselves were like most of them giving nothing. It's just that they weren't giving a tithe. They weren't giving fully. They're giving partially, but not fully. And that's why the Lord says in chapter, uh, verse 10, he says, bring the full tithe, not the partial tithe. He says, bring the full tithe, in verse 10, to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, I think uh, a number of Christians at this point, and maybe you're thinking this right now, you're thinking, okay, you got Malachi 3, and that's Old Testament talks about tithes, and the Old Testament is very clear about tithing but we're not living in the old testament anymore we're living in the new testament so are we really required to tithe and if you read most really reputable commentators on this and you think about this and you read the new testament itself i think you're going to be really hard pressed to say the new testament requires a tithe but if you take your giving seriously it's kind of hard to imagine giving less isn't it? I want to I want to get a little bit uh, personal at this point, and I want to I want us to think about this, and and I want you to I, I want to encourage you. I, in fact, I want to encourage all of us to think seriously about tithing. And if you're single here, and let's say maybe you're in your twenties. It's, it's, it's a, a practice among many churches where the 20-somethings, it's a hard go. I was 20 once, and you're getting off the ground, and, and the budget's usually pretty tight, isn't it? And, and we all know we live in a very expensive place in the country. I hear this over and over again, younger people moving out because it's so expensive to live here. So we get that. Um, but if you're a married couple, I want you to talk about this. Husbands, I want you to bring this up to your wives. And wives, if your husband doesn't do it, you bring it up to them. And I want you to talk about your giving. I want you to think about tithing. Okay? And I want you to think about tithing. And I encourage you to tithe because tithing actually um, helps ensure four things. Okay? Tithing keeps us honest in our giving. Tithing keeps us consistent in our giving because with our gross income, we always just carve off a tenth. It's very easy. So it keeps us honest in our giving. It keeps us consistent in our giving. Um, when, when, when a congregation ties, and, and I would dare say that I have the deacons backing on this, but when a congregation ties, a congregation typically has no problem meeting its budget. Because the Lord knows where we're all at, whether we're making a lot or we're making little. And if we give a tithe, the Lord says, I'm going to bless that. And I guarantee that our church will meet its budget. I don't think we have a huge budget. And then fourthly, tithing makes it easy for the Lord to, on the basis of our pastor, said, you know what? I am going to meet your needs, and I'm going to care for you, and then some. A brief illustration of, of this, because I told you I was going to get kind of personal. When I, when I was in seminary in the late 80s and early 90s, it was about a four-year period of time, um, uh, Joy and I weren't making a lot. It was, uh, the, the seminary load was so great, I didn't have time to, to work. So seminary is my full-time job. And Joy taught lessons part-time at, um, 
uh, uh, voice lessons part-time at a local college. And it was during that time that together we were making between about nine and $10,000 a year. And that was late 80s, early 90s, but <laughs> it was tight even then, okay? <coughs> and so, um, and, but even though, even though the times were very tight, and we, we lived in low-rent housing, and there was also <coughs> a time in our lives where on two separate occasions we used WIC checks to buy groceries. Now, I don't know what they call it in Canada, but it was a form of welfare. In the United States, it's called women, infants, and children. We also had two children at the time. And Joy used those checks on two separate occasions in the grocery store, and she said, I'm not doing that again. So, so it, it was not an easy go for a while. But we said to each other, and I don't say this to be righteous, okay, just as an illustration. We said to each other, you know what? Uh, we're in our mid to late 20s, but what we're going to do is we're, we're going to tithe. We're just going to do it because, because the Lord promises to bless us when we do that. To what extent he will, we don't know, but we trust him in that. So we tithe. In fact, we not only tithe whatever income we made, we also, if we got a gift from someone in the mail, which sometimes as a poor seminarian, I get it like a check for a hundred bucks from somebody, you know, I'm like, wow, that's like for you, that's like a thousand or 2000 bucks. Now you think about the heart issue here. I had to think about tithing of that hundred bucks. We felt we needed every penny and, and a, a tithe of a hundred bucks is 10 bucks and 10 bucks go a long way with us. Can we really give that up? And we said, we don't have any choice. We're going to give it up. And you know what? For all those four years, we never had an issue with paying our bills. Never. And you talk to some of the older guys here, if I may just call them older, Hans Lu, or Jan Prum, or Tony Vanderberg, or some of these older people. Ask them after the service sometime. When, when you, I, I dare say that they were good givers throughout their years. And ask them, did you, did you ever run dry? Did the Lord ever leave you begging bread? about guarantee they maybe would say well their times are really tight but the lord always took care of us always always so i would encourage us in that in fact in fact i'm gonna go so far as to say this why don't we do this why don't we all put god to the test put him to the test and why do i say that it's because the text says that we should do that look at verse 10 bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Now, real quick, I'll be, I'll be quick with this. The, 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 the term Lord of hosts is used here in this whole passage around four times. So the word Lord in the Hebrew is Yahweh. That's the covenant name of the Lord. And that's really a, frequently named, a frequent name of the Lord in the Old Testament. But there, every once in a while, there's the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth in, in the Hebrew, which means the, literally the Lord of heaven's armies or... It can also be translated as the Lord who is the God who, who, who has created and controls all that is in heaven and on earth. The Lord says, in other words, all of created reality is mine. And what is mine, I give to you. Don't doubt that. So it's, it's a muscular name of the Lord. He's the muscular God stands behind the promise of testing. Okay? So bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. 
Now notice the Lord, it's a beautiful image. Kids, you can, you can picture this image. You have heaven, like think of it almost like a big building in heaven, and it has big windows. And God says, if you tithe to me, if you give cheerfully and generously, I'm going to open those windows, and then the Lord says, I'm, I'm not going to trickle down upon you, I'm not going to sprinkle you, but I'm going to pour out upon you a blessing that is so great that you will never have any need. I'll take care of you, he says, in other words. Have you ever put God to the test? Have you done that? Are you willing to put God to the test? And if you have put God to the test, has he not always provided? See, if you and I have the gumption and the faith and the trust to give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord, the Lord says, I guarantee three things for you on the basis of this text from Malachi 3. Number one, I'm going to guarantee that your needs are always met. You're always going to meet your budget. Number two, I'm always going to ensure that your money does not disappear. In other words, the Lord is saying, any holes that you have in your pockets, where the coins and the dollar bills just kind of filter to the ground, you keep walking, you don't even notice that they're gone until later, right? I'm going to mend those pockets. And by the way, I, I guarantee you this, that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. We'll look at that text in just a moment. But in other words, if you're going to be stingy with your giving, or, or you're not going to give, let's say, a generous amount, let's just say a 10%, and you, you're typically giving 2 or 3%, you're going to always struggle with meeting your budget. You're just going to struggle with that. You might meet it, but barely, but barely. There's not going to be excess. And finally, the Lord says, if you give freely and you give generously, I'm going to give you a reputation among others. Like, you know what? They're doing pretty well. Now, why do I bring out those three things? Take a look at the text one final time. Verse 10, beginning there. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and there's those operative words, pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. In other words, I'm gonna, whatever needs you have, I'm going to have you meet those needs. You're going to meet your budget. Now look at verse 11. This is interesting. I will rebuke, in addition to meeting your needs, I will rebuke the devourer for you. And it's like, what's the devourer? It's kind of a difficult Hebrew word, but it's likely referring to pests in uh, in, in insects in the field, probably locusts, like we read in the book of Joel, that would devour crops. So these pests, the locusts, I will rebuke for you so that it or they will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts, or can also be translated so that your vine shall not drop its fruit. Sometimes you have healthy vines that get attacked by locusts or some other insects or by fungus or what have you, and they eat at that vine. And what happens when the, when the vine is attacked? Any fruit, any grapes or whatever, maybe it's a fig tree of some kind, but what happens is it drops the fruit, the fruit goes on the ground, and it rots, and you have no fruit. And that's, a, that's, that's an incredible metaphor that the Lord is using here when he's saying, you know what? The, the, the vines that hold your cash, the money trees, they're not going to drop the dollar bills. I'm going to mend the holes in your pockets. Test me in this. 
I'll make sure you meet your need and then some. And then finally, the Lord says, you're going to have a reputation. Verse 12, then all the nations, they're going to see you and they're going to call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The nations are going to look at you and they're going to go, the people of God, the people of God. You know, they're doing all right. They're doing all right. They have decent clothes. You got more than food enough on the table. You seem to be doing all right. And the Lord says, I promise you those things. Now, if these are all true, all these things that the Lord is saying to us, who of us would then not be encouraged to not just give, but to give of the tithe? Now, again, this is not just, I'm not laying out you to you, it's just this legalistic requirement. It's like, okay, we're in the red in the, bu- in the budget, and we're, you know, we could be doing better, so let's, let's, let's get up to speed, and let's, let's, let's meet the standard. No, no, no. The Apostle Paul, as the rest of the Bible, gets at the, really, the heart of the matter. Can you put up 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. In other words, if you're going to give little, you're going to receive little. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, as if to say, oh man, when I put that 10 bucks or when I give that 100 or that 1,000, whatever, boy, what could I have used that money for? No, 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 don't do that. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When that offering bag goes around or you give online, does it fill your heart with joy going, man, I have the opportunity. The Lord has blessed me enough where I get to give this. We have dear friends who are missiologists. And I remember him saying in his house, oh, this is maybe half a year ago, you know, they're entering into retirement. Retirement, and by no means are they a wealthy couple. But you know what? He's, he's published a number of books on mission and stuff, and then he gets some of those royalties, and his wife are very honest. He say, you know what? When we get those royalties, they're like a bonus. And you know what? That is so awesome because then we get to give more. I mean, that was their heart. I thought that was beautiful. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. My friends, never, never underestimate the ability but also the willingness of God to grant you the abundance of his grace and provision when you're faithful to him. Never underestimate the ability and the willingness of God to give to you generously when you give generously to him. And when you think about how generous the Lord has been to you, when he sacrificed his own son on the cross so that you may have eternal life and so that he may shower you with material and spiritual blessings in Christ, when you think about that, sometimes don't you become, don't we sometimes become a little shamed with the attitude of our giving sometimes or the lack of giving? Take what the Lord has given. Take what he's given. So the Lord will give generously if we give generously. I want to give you just um, a brief illustration of that because we have to celebrate the Lord's Supper here. But I want to give an illustration. Kids, I want you to listen to this. It's a, it's a story about God's generosity when we trust him, when we trust him. 
there was a, a, a woman named um, Darlene Diebler Rose who was a missionary in a tropical area called New Guinea during World War II, and it was under Japanese domination during World War II. Her husband died on the mission field, and once he died, she was on her own, and then she was placed in a Japanese concentration camp, an internment camp, and it's there where she suffered just horribly. And um, she suffered horribly under a, a camp commander known as Mr. Yamaji, and she suffered from disease, from malaria, and another disease called beriberi, and she, she, she suffered beatings, and she suffered starvation. And one day, when she was in her cell, she would look outside that cell, and she could see, not so far in the distance, she could see um, a, a tree with bananas on it, just filled with bananas. And her heart became attached to those bananas, and she said, oh, if I could just have one banana. And a short time after that, she could hear a guard walking toward her cell. And typically what that meant is that she was in for a beating, and that's what she was expecting. So the guard came to her door, and then he opened the door, and what happened next was quite extraordinary and completely unexpected. If you put that up there. She writes this, I heard the guard coming back, and I knew he was coming for me. Struggling to my feet, I stood ready to go, and he opened the door, walked in, and with a sweeping gesture, laid at my feet bananas. They're yours, he said, and they're all from Mr. Yamaji. And I sat down in stunned silence and counted them. There were 92 bananas. In all my spiritual experience, I've never known such shame before my Lord. I pushed the bananas into a corner and I wept before him. Lord, forgive me. I am so ashamed. I couldn't trust you enough to get even one banana for me. Just look at them. There are almost a hundred. In the quiet of the shadowed cell, he answered back within my heart. That's what I delight to do, the exceeding abundant above anything you ask or think. I knew in those moments that nothing is impossible to or for my God. 92. So I leave you with a simple thought. My dear friends, God doesn't need our income. He doesn't need our income. What does the psalmist say? In Psalm 50, I believe it is. The Lord says, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Do I need your income? I'm the Lord of hosts. Everything belongs to me. Do I really need your income? No. But I do want you. And I do want your hearts. And when I have your heart, and I have your income, then I promise you, I'll provide. Not one banana. 92. 92. And you know what? When the Lord promises these kind of things, you can take it home. Because when have you ever found God lying? God never lies. And we can bank on that. Okay? Now we're going to experience his bounty in the Lord's Supper as a reflection of God's generosity to us in Christ before we do. Please join me in a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us so much in Christ. And Lord Jesus, you have given us so much in your ministry, in your crucifixion, 
and in your death. You expended yourself for us completely, 100%. Oh, Lord, help us to give back to you as a thank offering, generously, just a portion of what you have given to us. Lord, help us to search our hearts in these matters and bless us as we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.